Are you overwhelmed with your current case load? Could you use some help with your skip trace assignments? With Merlin Locate Services, rather than adding staff, you can add an entire skip trace department of licensed private investigators who specialize in skip tracing. Check out MerlinLocate.com today. When you work with Merlin Locate Services, you bring on a valuable experience and trusted extension to your team. Cross-Tracks Case Management System, that is what we are talking about today. Are you using a case management system? What are you waiting for? If you don't use a case management system, you really need to look into implementing that into your business regimen. I've been at it with Crosstracks now a little over a year, and it's just been a game changer for my business. They are SOC 2 certified, SOC 2 Type 2 certified. If you don't know what that means, it means that their encryption system is second to none. And you have to go through a whole screening process to figure out uh, if you can even qualify for that, and they have. So you know with certainty your data is being protected. I don't think there's another case management system out there that offers that same ability to have the SOC 2 Type 2 certification. As you guys know, I've been uh, you know singing the praises of Crosstracks, and uh, I really believe in this product, and I believe you should check it out. Contact Brad, contact Pat, uh, one of the team members over there, and see if it's right for you. Crosstracks case management system, check it out today. Welcome to today's show. We're honored to welcome Peter Sarathakis from Michigan. Peter has served on the boards of NALI, NCISS, ISPLA, and his own state association. He had the honor of contributing on several bills that the Michigan governor signed into law, including a GPS bill. Peter joins us today to talk about ethics. You can never learn enough about this topic. Peter brings a solid 26 years of experience to the table. So please welcome Peter and your host, private investigator Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Today I have the great honor of uh, welcoming Peter Sarathakis to the program today. Peter is uh, involved in many associations and apparently he does many, many different things. And uh, what a wealth of information. Somebody who was involved very early on in writing um, ethics codes and, and helping out uh, national associations with forming guidelines. So I asked Peter to come on to talk about ethics today. So Peter, I want to invite you to the program. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine, man. It's uh, really just an honor to to have you on. I know uh, we've actually met in person, which was pretty cool for the first time. Yeah. And uh, I was like, who's this tall guy? <laughs> walking around. Uh, and, and what made it harder, uh, I guess, well, not so much there. I, we were down in North Carolina or, or South Carolina. I'm sorry. Myrtle South Beach. Carolina, yes. And uh, a, one of the things I was really worried about was folks wearing masks and me not recognizing them. Like I had a few people come up and say hello to me. And I'm just like, hi, what's up? Who are you? <laughs> I don't recognize <laughs> you. <laughs> that was a real, uh, definitely a real problem. And, uh, you know, a good problem to have that we're actually, we were able to meet in person. Yeah, it was nice. So before we jump into the topic, tell me a little bit about your background, lay the foundation of um, how you got into the business and what you do. Well, I've been uh, my, own, my own agency, uh, EWI and Associates here in Michigan for 26 years this year. Wow. And uh, going strong and enjoy it. I uh, do a lot of uh, background investigations is a strong part and technical surveillance countermeasures okay. uh, provided for corporate and, uh, and government agencies, Michigan and around the country. Okay. So it's been it's been an exciting, good career and very happy with it and continue on. Don't plan on stopping anytime soon. 
And then uh, as far as professionally in the association world, I've been involved in a lot of things. Uh, I was uh, the ASIS Investigations uh, Council Chair, president for several couple, two or three terms of my state association here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Served as the disciplinary chair for uh, NALI. Uh, helped write the, as the chair for the ethics committee for uh, um, NCISS, their code of ethics. And, mm-hmm. and then, uh, of course, now uh, for quite a few years now, I've been the executive director for IntelliNet, which has uh, really uh, been the pinnacle for me of uh, everything I've been involved in. Yeah, what a great association, folks. If, if you are unfamiliar with IntelliNet, definitely go check it out. Um, there's some real prestige to actually being a part of that association. It's not easy to get into, you know, you, you really, yeah. you, you got to know your stuff. Um, but the wealth, that way. yeah. And the, and the wealth of information that you get out of it. I mean, what a strong networking. I think it, it's 10 years, right? You have to be in the bus- in business for 10 years. Yeah, you have to have a minimum of 10 years and go through a complete background check. Uh, there's no other group or association that I'm aware of that is such an extensive background yeah. as well as require that 10 year minimum uh, investigative experience. So it puts us above and it's nice. That doesn't take away from all the other wonderful associations out there, which some I just mentioned and others I've belonged to in the past. Yeah. Everything has its place. Yeah, it was just uh, the last episode that Jay Marin and I were actually talking about that, about how important it is from a networking stance to to be a part of many of these associations. Like one just won't do it and how it actually makes you better at running your own operation because of the ability to handle all different types of work through different people that have specialties. It's almost like a no-brainer. It's nice when you get a call from a client and they need something that, you know, not everybody can be an expert in everything. We yeah. hear that all the time in this profession. Everybody seems to know, not everybody, but a lot of people will say they know, oh, I can do this, I can do that. Well, the reality is you can't do everything, but you yeah. can definitely find somebody that can do it for and help your client. And belonging to groups like Intelnet and Alley and those, you know, you can reach out and get help and ask so you can provide that business service because we're all business people first. Yeah to uh, that investigative service we're, we're selling yeah. to uh, the clients and make them happy. And, and as a result, we're happy. Yeah. And uh, what's, what's really interesting is uh, like for me, for instance, when I started my business, I was like, okay, I'm going to keep it like real specific. I'm going to do like mm-hmm. seven or eight things and that's it. And, and mm-hmm. I don't want to say no to the other work that comes in, but I don't want to do that work because I shouldn't be doing that work. Uh, it's not my specialty, right? So, you know, that idea of j- joining these other associations. And I started with my state association and I serve on the board on my state association too. And you know, I've been involved with all that and then branched out to more of the, the, the national ones. And then, then even like one of the things I'm doing now is like I'm going to different state associations and I'm joining them as an affiliate member. Why not, right? Why not? If it gives me access to their message boards, if it gives me access to, to keeping my finger on the pulse as to what's going on around the country, why not? It's not a big investment, mm-hmm. right? Um, or uh, like I, what, what I did with, with George Gerges, um with Inspy, we were at an alley event and I was like, hey, you join mine, I'll join yours. <laughs> so yeah. I signed him up for New York and I signed up for Indiana. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> Everybody wins. Yeah, I joined Scali when I was down there at the conference. Yeah, me too. We co-hosted with them down there and, yeah. you know, why not to support them and get some networking. And, you know, I belong to, I don't know, my annual dues are combined but I guarantee you it's a lot less than the one case, uh, you know, one case covers half of one case will cover 
my membership dues to all the associations that I belong to. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's just worth it. Um, and, and you meet all these wonderful people and you're involved in things, the education, um, which is huge for me. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a continuing education requirement here in Michigan, but who cares? It's on me to do that. And it's important. So, you know, that's a good point. So, and that covers part of like the ethics of what we're going to get into too, you know, like there should be a responsibility on your end, even though you're not required to do, because New York's the same way. We don't have continuing education credit, you know, pretty much you can, can you pay the money? If you can pay the money, you got the license, you know, right. you got to take the test first, but once you've taken the tests, you, you got to continue mm-hmm. to pay the money. It's almost like a fiduciary responsibility kind of if you're doing personal injury work that you need to be the very best at what you're doing, right? You, you're tasked with helping these pe- people solve the, whatever conflict there is, right? Whatever side you're on, there's money involved, right? It's one way or the other. And if you're not the very best at what you do, uh, are you really doing what you should be doing? I think you bring up a, a really good point. Well, that's why but the network is, you know, yeah. I used to do surveillance all the time. You'll never catch me in the surveillance anymore. Yeah, not me. I've done my time. Yeah, me not too. to take away from people that want to do it, but I have folks that do it for me now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I look at it as well. I've earned the right. I paid my dues. You know, I'm gonna, and I have a bigger business now. So, you know, I have people do it. I don't think it would be fair to my client after not being in a surveillance for the last probably six, seven years me to jump in a vehicle and run a, a professional surveillance yeah. as opposed to folks that are doing it every day and know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, I'm just not going to do that to my client. Even with, you know, with what your rate is, I'm sure your rate is much higher for the work that you do um, mm-hmm. than, than the typical surveillance. So not only are you doing surveillance when you shouldn't be doing surveillance, but you also have right. to pay what your hourly rate is. You got to get paid for it. Right. right. So uh, yeah. I want to have the best possible product for my, client as I can. And our product is gathering information, right? Mm-hmm. That's what investigators do. We're not in the decision-making business. So what was the passion of the drive to get involved on serving on all these boards? Cause you, you've, it's impressive actually, mm-hmm. uh, have you gone through like what, what's, what was your thought process or decision or drive to really say like, Hey, this is something I want to get more involved with. Well, you know, I went to my first state association meeting back in 99, something like that. And I looked at these guys and back in those days, it was like people showing up wearing their guns. It was kind of a good old boy network. And there was stuff happening in the legislature that was going to impact us all. And that kind of just a light went on, you know, this would be a good venue to get involved in and organize and be proactive. Uh, So that's exactly what I did. I joined, I went to the board meetings, eventually got myself on the board. I got a leader posi- leadership position. I got other people that also were proactive in leadership positions. We modernized things, and then we headed off to our state capital in Lansing and started doing things. Yeah. We saw immediate uh, positive impact because of that. And that, along with all that, came, put my name out there. And people started referring things and calling me. And then one step led to another. Then I got involved in national stuff. And then I just the networking. And actually, I really enjoy it, too. Just working with a team of other professionals on things that benefit the whole profession as a whole. As a whole. It's a lot of fun. I love going and lobbying in uh, our state capital in Washington, D.C. I still do it in different ways now. But 
I had the ability and my staff actually helped to write my own words in at four different laws in the state of Michigan. That's awesome. That, you know, it's cool. It doesn't say Peter Serathakis next to it, but I know I was there and I wrote it. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have a GPS exemption here. Help write that. We have a um, concealed pistol license exemptions. Help write that. Our state licensing laws help write that. You know, that's exciting stuff. Kind of leaves a legacy. And I, I enjoy it. That's great. So you you, you helped the Cowboys put the guns uh, away, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, hey, I'm a gun guy. Don't get me wrong. I love guns, but you know, there's time and place. <laughs> right, right. Nothing's on the hip anymore. <laughs> so, that's great, and that's you know that's legacy. And like mm-hmm. for me in New York, I was recruited. You know, uh, somebody identified me as being somebody who just you know, I had a passion for what they did and, and thought I'd be a good regional director. So I started as an, an RD um, in, in the New York State Association. Uh, and then that became the secretary. And then they tried to hoodwink me to become the treasurer. And I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll stick on the, on the secretary. So I did an extra term as secretary and uh, became second VP. And now I'm first VP in, in New York. And uh, I guess Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'll be uh, assuming the bottom doesn't fall out or, or the natural line of succession goes. I'll get sworn in 23, hopefully, again, if the bottom doesn't fall out. And I got to say, one of the things that really impacted me was joining NCISS and going to Hit the Hill and really mm-hmm. seeing why it's so important. I mean, someone could come and read a report and they can tell you about what's going on and that's all good. But to go to the Capitol and actually roam the halls of the Capitol, trying to talk to senators and, and congressmen and women and really educate, not them, because the chances of you actually meeting uh, and sitting down with, with one of these people are very slim. And they're really not the people you want to talk to anyway. It's more along the lines of the communication directors, the people that read the bills and the people that, that go through and then tell the senator or congressman like, hey, here are the bullet points here, and here's why I think we should go that way. So to educate them on what a private investigator does and why it's important for us to be able to do what we do um, ethically, right? Staying within the ethics of, of, of what we are and what we're doing, they're like, wow, I never realized that. I'm just, you know, I'm used to seeing Sam Spade on TV or, or you know, the last Boy Scout, Bruce Willis, this uh, blown out, uh, you know, recovering alcoholic uh, private investigation. You know, like that's the rap that we get. And a lot of these people I found that I sat down and talked with, they had no idea. They had no idea that we had like a code of ethics or standards or any of this. They just thought it was like the Wild West, you know? Well, you know, what's interesting though, you bring up a good point. How long ago was that you did that for the first time? Oh God, not long ago, maybe three or four years ago. Okay. So the first NCISS conference hit the hill I went to, and I agree that it's a wonderful event and uh, very fond memories of doing that was back in 2001. And the exact same issues you were just talking about are still the same. They have no idea what worked, yeah. who we are, what we're doing. They get all their ideas from TV. It's funny how it just doesn't change. And we're such a small profession. It's hard to make, you know, in the big scheme of things with all the lobbyists and stuff in Washington, D.C. and around the country. Yeah. An impact that sticks with them. So we got to keep that fight going, I guess, is my, my point, you know. And by you just recently being there and having to say the same things 
that I said back in 2000, or all of us said, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's an ongoing battle that'll never end. Well, there's just a lot of turnover too. You know, so it's, oh, like, yeah, you know, that's a big part of that battle. And I'm, I, I'm talking staffers, like not just the, you know, congressmen and women and senators. And, oh, those staffers are the most important, like you point out, those legislative aides, those young folks in their, 20s and early 30s are actually making most of the decisions yeah what's going on in this country it's not the member of congress that a lot of people think it is yeah no you're absolutely right you know one of the cool things that happened um it's just amazing being in the right place at the right time just really seeing the importance of of doing what we do and all that so I had gone to hit the hill and I'm from New York, right? So who are you going to go see? You're going to go see uh, Gillibrand, Schumer, all that. So I, I was able to schedule an appointment with uh, Charles Schumer's office and um, I met with his communications director and she spent probably an hour with me. It was really, it was a good conversation. It was very cool. And, you know, we exchanged cards and we kept in contact for a little bit. Nothing really came out of it. It's like, uh, you know, he's, he's the, the minority head at the time, you know, it's like, he's got to go party line. <laughs> like there's no, yeah. you're not changing anybody's mind on anything. Right. Uh, but, um, still establishing the report. Right. So fast forward to COVID and me personally knowing somebody that was trying to get, um, the, uh, transfusion, right. When they were taking the people that had antibodies and, and, and doing transfusions right. with them. You know, this was a um, somebody I knew who was a retired New York State trooper who was really suffering. I mean, he was on death's doorstep. It was really, really bad. And there was a lot of bureaucracy to getting him that transfusion. So I'm like, who do I know? Who do I know? Who do I know? Who do I know? Oh, I know the communications director for Charles Schumer. Let me reach out to them and see what they can do. She took my call mm-hmm. and she helped facilitate. Now, I don't know if it was me personally doing that or whatever, but within a day, this guy got the transfusion they need and he lived. You know, and had he not mm-hmm. gotten that, gotten that, he probably would have died. He was on a ventilator for a very long time. Um, so it's like you understand the importance of relationship, right? And right. Who would have known that trip down to Washington? You know, would have would have given Absolutely. me the opportunity. You know, and like I said, do I know if that's the reason it happened? I don't. But, you know, mm-hmm. I like to think it maybe it helped. You know, maybe, hey, maybe making connections is, you know, meeting people in our world. Uh, is not is positive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, who knows what it could bring? Uh, yeah. Reaching out and saying hi, you know. Yeah, more yeah. people are, in my opinion, they're more nice people in the world out there than they are the negative ones. Yeah. So, yeah, doesn't and, hurt to network, and it really does add to the to the prestige of what you do personally as a business owner, right? I know, like when I go to meetings right. and I'm giving my spiel and my pitch, and it's like, okay, so I'm first VP in my state association. I'm also on the board of this national association, mm-hmm. and we lobby and we we protect the rights of investigators. And I always relate it: personal injury attorneys are my bread and butter. They have their trial lawyers association. I said it's the same thing as your sure. trial lawyers association, except our lobbyist is looking after us. So they like relate to it and they understand the importance of it and the prestige. And they're like, wow, this guy really cares mm-hmm. about what he does in his industry. You know, I know that if I'm hiring them, this person to do this ethically, they're going to be where they need to be. And I know that the skill level is probably there too, um, that they, they really have a passion for, for what they do. I don't know. That's just yeah. how I look at it. Right. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. So we're going to step out and take a quick break. Uh, we, we did start to creep into the ethics stuff, but I really wanted to, to hammer down and focus on that and really hit on some points and just things to cover, some do's and don'ts. And, and uh, there's been some uh-ohs in the news, <laughs> some people. So yeah. we're going to talk about that too. 
Everybody sit tight. We'll, uh, we'll be right back after this quick break. Delft Point keeps on advancing. The commonality search is here. The new data is unlike anything they currently offer and will go in depth into your target's assets and relationships. Use them on everything from jury research and associate connections to business investigations and fraud cases. You don't want to miss these. Visit DelftPoint.com for more details. Sign up and use code PIP20 for additional savings. Check out the PI Institute of Education at PIInstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the InvestigatorsToolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Have you heard about this year's Osmosis Conference? It's back to a live event in San Diego, California from October 10th to October 12th. The event is available both live and virtually. Learn more at osmosiscon.com. PI Perspectives. Check out the latest issue of PI Magazine. Bob Macquiac graces the cover, and there's a great article on how the magazine was started. Available today. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Uh, today, we are honored to have Peter Sarathakis with us. Uh, Peter, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Really appreciate being here. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you you have had an amazing career, 26 years uh, this year. Uh, you have been uh, uh, involved in writing legislation for your state, which is pretty amazing, or contributing, right? Not writing, contributing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, wow, how cool is that to like be in, to have a seat in that room, right? To to even like someone ask you their what's your input on this? Why is this important? That's uh, that's some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's a great moment. Uh, I've had two different governors I've been able to stand next to at their desk because they signed stuff that I helped write into law. Nice. One of them was the GPS law, and then another time was for our state licensing law amendment. Right. And uh, that's a it's an exciting thing. Stuff you would never think you were doing. Very very cool. So let's rewind a little bit and let's let's talk about the everyday investigator, the person who's maybe just getting into the industry, right? They've coming mm-hmm. out of law enforcement or they're, they're coming out of school or, you know, whatever, you know, maybe coming out working for somebody and now they're working for themselves. Ethically, what do you think are, are some of the issues and things that, that this investigator doesn't think of or should keep in mind as they're now putting a shingle on their door saying I'm open for business? Well, obviously they got to know their state laws. They got to know what they can and cannot do after they figured out what the type of business they want to run. You got to remember investigations covers the gambit. You could be an accident vehicle accident investigator or surveillance operator or what have you interviewer or, you know, do plaintiff stuff to criminal defense, uh, you know, insurance fraud, blah, 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 just goes on and on. Right. So once you figured out what you want to do, uh, which probably in most cases you're generally seeing that most people are starting the business or kind of offering everything. <laughs> a lot of them are doing surveillance or process serving or because that's a, you know, a big part of the business, especially the surveillance for insurance companies and that kind of thing. But they need to know the laws in their state. Sure. Do they ha- need to be licensed in their state? Do they need to be insured and bonded? 
how can they conduct surveillance in their state? Do they know the privacy laws? Do they know the federal difference between the federal and state laws uh, on privacy issues and case laws? They got to go out there and get some education. Yeah. You can't assume just because you spent the last 25 to 30 years on the police department, you know how it's going to be in the private sector. Um, What I find through my career is that many people in law enforcement are wonderful investigators but they have absolutely no clue. A lot of them want to get in private sector, how to ethically and legally at times get information, not to suggest that they're out there trying to get it illegally, but they just don't know, have the resources like they did when they were in law enforcement that they can't tap into anymore, or they shouldn't be tapping into anymore, more importantly. And the only place to really reach out for that is to take some sort of courses or be involved in some sort of association where you can go to conferences and learn and talk to other professionals that have more experience in the private sector than you sure. and sure. ask questions and say, you know, how do I go about doing this? Or if I do this, is it wrong? Or everybody makes mistakes, myself included. I still make mistakes all the time. But, you know, the thing with ethics, the key component of ethics is do no harm. You look it up. I mean, uh, Everybody should have read uh, Kitty or should read Kitty Haley's book yeah. uh, on ethics, you know, she's awesome. and uh, Kitty's a good friend of mine and a uh, definite professional. And, and you should see her. if She speaks somewhere. But her book uh, yeah. really pushed out. And you don't even have to agree with all of her book. Uh, you, but ethics are something that's evolving. And you have to be uh, it's, uh, it's like a living document in a way. It's always kind of changes. You know, life's different from 1940s in the United States than it is today in 2021. I don't think you, you can know? you can say ethics and private investigator and not talk about Kitty or Kelly Riddle. You're like, like these are people like, it's just, you just, these are the folks you lean on. And I'll give you a good example. Me personally, that came across something where I was stumped and I didn't know what to do. And what did I do? I reached out to the folks that I know and trust on a national scale and say, Hey, this presented itself. What do mm-hmm. I do in this particular instance? I had a personal injury attorney who I, I hit a home run for him on this case. I basically, I, I was able to get the witness that was not going to cooperate to cooperate after not cooperating mm-hmm. for about eight years. I came in at the end and just, you know, the kids gloves, laid it down and got it done. And they ended up settling the case for like seven or $8 million. And it was a, it was a big case. And the attorney goes to me, he says, I want to give you a bonus. And I'm like, the alarm goes off. Uh Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> can I take bonus money? Right. And uh, right. listen, if you, you, you ask my wife, she's like, don't be a moron, take the money, you know, uh, but I'm like, no, 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 I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta really, I gotta look into this. Right. Mm -hmm. So what did I do? I started reaching out to people I knew, um, you know, nationally and people I very much respect and said, Hey, this is the situation here. What should I do? You know? And of course, what's the amount, right? (laughs) That's a factor too. What are we really talking about here? What's the the parameters? And I reached out to people who I know from the trial lawyers association who um, are part of their ethics committee too, you know, and saying, you know, without naming names here, I've right. had an attorney, you know, approach me and they would like to give me a bonus before I accept anything, you know, and then I, I actually talked to my accountant. What do I do here? Right. So the gist of it, what it came down to was if the attorney was giving me the bonus from his own personal checking account and he was not taking that money as a disbursement from his client, 
if he chooses to give you that money, you're golden. However, you have to declare that money, <laughs> you know, no matter what the amount is, you right. better declare it on your taxes, which is a no brainer anyways. So here's one of the reasons why I feel that that stuff is important as an investigator, you know, the, the ethical question here, we testify all the time, all the time. Right. So we get it called up and it's the job of, of, uh, you know, whoever's on the other side to confuse us, make us look bad, do whatever, even if we're not doing anything appropriate to create the specter of impropriety, it can be a career ender for us because if you're burned on the stand and they can't use you because you're not a good witness or you've got some shady stuff in your past, it's a problem. It can definitely come back and haunt you. What, what's your take on all that stuff? Well, I think that you're right. I mean, uh, assuming you are testifying, I probably disagree with you that a majority of us do testify in court a lot. I mean, I happen to. Out of all the investigators in this country, uh, I, I think it's uh, less than more that are actually testifying. That's, that's a fair a statement. That's a fair statement. But, but I, I think you have to prepare, though. To always be prepared. That you may yeah, have to yeah. Testify. That's what I'm about to say. <laughs> okay. well, I, I would say you should definitely assume you're going to end up in court yeah. when you're doing things in your investigations and always think about wh what can, where can I end up with this? Where's my work product ending up? Where will I end up? Will I end up in court or a deposition? Right. Will I end up in front of uh, law enforcement mm -hmm. potentially being questioned yeah. depending on the kind of cases you uh, are involved in? And, you know, again, you got to go back to that do no harm. You got a duty to your clients. You know, you got a duty to yourself and your family. Never forget that. Of course. You know, that's number one on my list. You know, ethics can be a tough time. We we all fail. I've I've made mistakes, yeah. uh, you know, and but having people to go to back to kind of your point, you know, belonging to an association or going to conferences, you meet people, you become work friends, if you will, colleagues that you can then reach out to privately with an ethical, ethical dilemma like you had, or I've seen it right on the Intel net listserv and I've seen it at other associations. I belong to those. Somebody put something out there and said, I'm not sure what, this is what's presented to me. I'm not sure what to do. Could I have some input? Yep. And that may start a huge, maybe crazy conversation, but out of that, they may get some input that helps them ultimately make the decision because they're going to have to make the decision. Ultimately, we can give all the uh, advice we want, but the individual investigators have to make the decision whether they're going to do the right thing in their mind or not. Yeah. Unfortunately, in my career, we have a lot of, uh, to use your words earlier, cowboys yeah. in our profession. Some are really well known and everybody knows the stuff they're doing and is well aware of it and yet nothing happens to some of these folks yeah uh and then once in a while one of them gets popped um uh which is good you know we've seen big names in california yeah, sure. around the country um you know did prison time and, and just recently with the the the, the pdj case yeah. you know we're looking at people that are uh, being convicted of uh, inappropriate use of social security numbers, for instance. Yeah, so so let's dive into that a little bit, right? So for folks that don't know, uh, PDJ was a, a brokerage company, information brokerage company. The owner of the company actually happened to have passed away recently, uh, completely unrelated to this arrest uh, of um, some former employees, I think. Um, so basically, uh, like he had mentioned, there were some issues with, with – uh, social security numbers being exchanged. And really what it came down to is somebody made this person allegedly 
an offer they they couldn't refuse, right? So they're they're lining their pockets on on you know knowingly that they can you know hey I shouldn't be doing this. You know, we sign up for all these services and we you know click the button saying we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, we're not going to do this. They did it, and money was a driving factor. And you look at fraud, and essentially this was fraud. And you look at the the, the fraud triangle, right? Everybody says, hey, you know, look at the fraud triangle, and you know that money is is part of that, right? That that um, that need. To, to have extra income. And I don't know, I mean, I know one of the, the people, don't know them personally, but I had dealings with them. But the other people I don't know, and I don't know what their financial situations were, what drove them to do it, but man, they got popped and it's, it's a real they deal. Sure did. Yeah, it's a real you deal. Know, I, I never have uh, in the past uh, worked with PDJ, uh, hadn't had a need to or anything. So I, it wasn't any reason not to, but uh, looking at the court documents that I've seen now, Looking at the uh, news articles that have uh, shown, you know, the um, pleading guilty to different crimes, uh, clearly there's a problem there. Yeah. But let's not fool ourselves. Uh, there's others out there doing the same thing sure. almost daily. Yep. And you got to know who you're working with. And you got to know if you're going to rel- delve into things that impact, uh, are impacted by Graham Leach Bliley, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, FCRA issues. Yep. Uh, and if you listen to this and don't know what those two things are, Google it. Please Google. Hugely <laughs> yes. Hugely important. Yeah. But, you know, those kind of things dealing with financials, you better know how they're collecting. I mean, to me, if I'm going to be working with somebody and they tell me they're getting stuff legally, prove it. And if they're not willing to prove it, then I'm not working with them. Yeah. I mean, it's like, don't tell me that's proprietary information or any of that kind of stuff. No, no, no. You don't want my money then or my client's money because uh, we're not going to do anything that puts me in a position that's going to harm my business and more importantly, my family. Well, and that's the thing, you know, when the music stops, like your client doesn't care about you. If if they get called to the carpet, the first person they're going to point their finger at is, oh, the investigator got it. Right. That's right. And then if we go and we try and point their finger at our broker, yeah, it don't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you know, you did something you weren't supposed to do, you know, not knowing that you're not supposed to do it is, is not innocence. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. We're the lowest on the totem pole when it comes to that. We will be thrown under the bus immediately. Yes. You, there's <laughs> cases upon cases. Yes. Google that and you will see who's the first one to go under the bus and it'll be the investigator. They did this. They did that. Yeah. You know, that's why you got to surround yourself with good, solid ethical people. Yeah. You need to just distance yourself from those other ones that unfortunately hurt this profession. Yep. You know, every profession has unethical criminal people in it. It doesn't matter whether it's doctors, lawyers, police, uh, you know, whatever janitors, truck drivers, people suck. Every profession <laughs> has <laughs> people, every, people in general yeah. suck. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I like to think most people are good, but every profession is going to have that percentage that just does that stuff. Right. And you got to stay away from that. And all you can do is do your best and, and, uh, uh, you know, hold up the, the appropriate flag and show that you're on the side of right. Yeah. And, and if it, if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Not, trust your instincts. Your instincts will definitely tell you, you know, with that. Yeah. Person. I mean, you know, it's something like licensing. That's, uh, you know, some people get licensed, some people don't, you know, my personal opinion, licensing in this country for our profession completely does not work, but it's still the law. 
so I get licensed, right? right. Uh, e- even though I think it's, you know, it's almost irrelevant, but it is what it is. So, you know, it's a simple thing. So you, you go out and do it. You, you know, you get the insurance. You don't lie about getting the insurance that your clients want you to have. You go get it. Right. You know, I've heard story upon story of people taking old insurance things and basically doctoring them yeah. and giving them to the client to, because, it, you know, well, here, here, here's another problem. Don't lie to your insurance carrier when they're giving you, like when you're renewing, well, yeah. you know, because yeah. they, they won't cover you <laughs> if you have a problem. If you're falsifying information to get a, a lower quote or whatever, like that can be a big problem too. Don't do that. Yeah. I mean, people do these things and you yeah. just got to wonder, how are you even in business? Yeah. Um, you know, it amazes me. Some of the well-known people that we all know, I'm not naming names on here because I don't want those issues. Mm. Uh, but, you know, there are names out there that most of us know has been in the game for a long time that are doing unethical things and they just seem to get away with it. Yeah. And it just blows my mind. I don't know how their clients accept it. I don't know how this profession accepts it. Yeah. I like to stay in my lane and just kind of focus on, on what my business is doing, you know, mm-hmm. cause I know if I ever do get called to the carpet, I want to be able to, to do that. And, you know, getting, giving a deposition, they're, they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna hunt they're gonna really look for things i've had many questions on the stuff mm-hmm. and, the, and the same question asked over and over again maybe four different ways trying to get you to slip up on stuff and at the end of the day if you're doing things ethically the way you're supposed to do it the, the answer is going to be the same 100 percent of the time um right it just is right. and don't forget yeah. what you're saying and those things end up in a record right. so somebody right. later down the line right. you know you say something on the stand in court that's there forever yep <laughs> You know, you need to be doing the right thing so you don't have those kind of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's even how we treat ourselves in this profession. There's another ethical thing. Sure. We all have our moments and we maybe send that email we shouldn't. Yep. I've done it myself, especially as leaders of group. You get a little heated. You're doing this volunteer stuff and you push send when you probably should have sat on that email. For, always always wait a day. <laughs> Never yeah, send an or, email in anger. <laughs> yeah, I'm better about it now, but you know, I definitely had my moments. And there may be a few people here uh, that got an email from me through the years that are listening. Uh, I'm sorry. But you know, all you can do is try to improve on that. You're but other things with them, you got association politics, which you know I've seen both the good and the bad on that and had personal impacts on. Yeah. That, you know, that amazes me. Uh, when everybody volunteers and tries to, is supposed to be trying to help our, our profession. And then there's all this backstabbing going on, or, you know, you're working with your fellow professional and you're not paying them. Yeah. You know, and they have to hound you down for months and months and months. And you at least not, you know, why aren't you communicating with them? Maybe you have a financial issue or, or you were, you know, whatever the situation is, but at least talk to them yeah. and say, look, I'm trying or this or that, instead of just like ghosting them, uh, you know, as I've been involved in associations through the years, especially in uh, like ethics committees and disciplinary committees, I would get those kind of calls and emails mm-hmm. saying, help me, Peter. So-and-so I did, you know, $1,500 worth of work for, and it's four months down the line. And they'd ask me or the committee to get involved and try to mitigate those things. Mm-hmm. It's happened so many times yeah. through my career. Get a retainer. And, <laughs> well, get a retainer. Yeah. If you can't pay them when the job's done, you have, and you're, you're 
waiting for the client to pay you, at least tell them up front, once I get paid, you'll get paid. That gives that person the opportunity to say, okay, that's not the way I operate. I'm not, I choose not to work with you on this project. Right. That's perfectly fine. Well, you know, but if you say something, you got to let them know, you know, or, you know, if you can, in my opinion, pay them immediately. Sure. That's the best case scenario, sure. but at least be honest. Um, and don't just ghost them. It, that happens all the time. Yeah. All the time. Um, so let's, let's touch real briefly on the, some field and get investigator issues. Um, uh, primarily trespassing, right? Being really, really careful. Uh, when you see an opportunity to gather information, you really need to like ask yourself, you know, should I be here? Do I have the right to go into this particular area? Do I have the the right to fly this drone in this area or, or, or do this stuff mm-hmm. like that? Like you really got to be careful on that stuff um, because yeah. at, at the end of the day, you could collect information that could hit a home run for your case but if it was uh, tarnished in any way, it could get thrown out. And if that's the reason that the case, your your client loses that case because of that very reason, they weren't able to to put that information into into the uh, case. Right. There's some liability there on your end. You got to be careful of that, right? Yeah, and that's where you got to know your state laws. Yeah. You got to know we can't all be attorneys and and be experts on everything all the time. But I mean, right. if there's an area that you're working on, you should know trespassing laws. You should know some the basic privacy laws. You should know that you know you should know that it's not okay to put a listening device in someone's house and sit out in a van and listen to it, right? I mean, I think you and I agree that's a no brainer, right? Yeah, that's uh, some issues. Right. So. Right. So, I mean, but you should also know that you shouldn't be, you know, using your video camera to look down their hallway into the bedroom, you know, from, even if you're out in the street. I mean, there's limitations for surveillance. And, you know, the, the, there is easy research to figure out what's right in your state and what's not. Yeah. And, you know, you're just going to hurt yourself and, and your client by yeah. not doing that. I would say Google uh, Google eavesdropping laws. Um, that's a good yeah. good way to to get a sense of it. Sure, you know, know the states where that are one party states and two party states, right? That's oh really yeah, important. for recording, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. really absolutely. important. Like those are good tips for folks just to you know make sure my own state's changing right now. Oh yeah. So if you read the statute in Michigan, it looks like we're uh, a two party state, but case law, a uh, many case law, all the way up to the courts here have made it a one party state. Now they're readdressing it. And now they're talking about going back the other way. So, I mean, and unless you're following this, you can find yourself in a problem. So what, what would you suggest if somebody's doing a witness interview and they're in, let's say, New York, right? And mm-hmm. they've got uh, the person you're calling has a cell phone number that has an exchange from Michigan. Do they have the right to record that person? Oh, I see what you're saying. And again, we're not, we're not lawyers here, by the way. We're just giving yeah, opinion. Yeah, here, right? Not yeah. even close. We work for a living. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> My little slam on lawyers. Yeah. I would err on the side of caution with that. Yep. Uh, unless there was something uh, truly a life at stake, I might push the envelope there. But generally speaking, I mean, immediate loss of life at stake. Right. I would probably err on the side of caution um, and try to get a, a, a agreed upon recorded statement. Yep. I would go that route. I would talk to the clients first. Yep. I would explain the things I would get legal advice. Um, 
I wouldn't just automatically make that decision myself. Yeah. And, you know, you can always work it into the conversation, too, when you first get on the phone with them. Hey, I'm Adam calling from New York. Got your number here. Da, 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 da. You know, are you in New York right now? Yeah. You know, no, 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 no. I'm in Michigan. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> now I know the parameters here. Or, yeah, I'm in New York. Um, how'd you find me? You know, like that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so, you gotta know all the details of that. But, right. you know, if you can get them to say it's okay to record, then, then you're fine. Right. That, that too. You know, and, that's, I mean, that's, uh, in many cases, they will say no. But, yeah. you know, again, you better know what's going on with your laws and, and feel confident that your client, if you're working with an attorney, mm-hmm. I mean, working with an attorney is one thing, working with a corporate client or a, a client off the street, just, you know, that are, uh, that's a whole different thing too. Yeah. Cause now that opens up all sorts of ethical questions. Sure. Which, you know, yeah. What are these folks going to do with this information? I think when it comes down to it, it's just always err on the side of caution, you know, and, yeah. and have a, a really rock solid retainer, you know, review your retainer yeah. and make sure that you're spelling out, you know, uh, mm-hmm. terms of liability, expectations, things like that. So, you know, there's, there's no question about it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if the music does stop, you want to make sure you have a chair. I would venture to say that uh, I don't know how many folks listen to your program. I hope it's uh, thousands upon thousands, but uh, the, most of the people listening to this do not have a retainer. Yeah. Scary. I, I mean, from just from traveling around the country, working with folks, uh, I, I, I don't think that's a, a, a majority of investigators are working with retrain, retainers, contracts of any type. So, which is, it blows my mind because like when you're filling out your insurance questionnaire, like they ask you mm-hmm. those questions, do you have this stuff? And you know, that's part of the formula. My guess would be that if you do have a retainer, I would probably guess that your rates may be a little bit cheaper. Uh, if you have, you know, that, that type of, um, you know, yeah, the case and what you're asked to do, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Is it a one-off or you're going to be working for them for a lot right. you know, time period, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, I have some clients that I see take care of uh, for a special project that I do quarterly. Mm-hmm. And so I have a long-term retainer with them and yeah. it financially it's better for them and it's great for me too. So, I mean, it, um, so that's different than all of a sudden, they call them up and say, Hey Pete, I need you and the guys to do this for me tomorrow. It's a one-off. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. And the other uh, thing is like, if you're working with somebody that you're unfamiliar with, um, even like when I get calls for attorneys from out of state um, and I don't know who they are, um, <laughs> sign my retainer and fill out this credit card authorization <laughs> because right. I'm going to run your credit card and that's how I'm going to get paid. That's just the way I'm going to do it. Uh, I don't want to mm-hmm. deal with checks or having to wait because I can't litigate. I'm going to start an action in New York and then go, um, go get it localized and, and, you know, try and collect that way. It's a nightmare. No, just give me a credit card. And, and if you try and dispute those charges, I got the retainer to back it up. Um, so I would definitely recommend doing that. And, and you and I, like, we shouldn't be offended if somebody asked us to sign a retainer or give a credit card information. Yeah. You know, well, you know, it's interesting though, like, uh, most of my clients now are corporate and government clients and they're not, they don't use credit cards. They still, you know, that's just the way it is. Now I have contracts with them and that kind of stuff, but so I, I've got to deal with that. I almost never deal with a, uh, uh, 
off the street client anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I've just refined what I do for work. Uh, I'm all it, it would be about credit cards. Uh, but you know, your corporate clients, many of them, especially if it reaches over a certain amount, like over a thousand dollars, they're not going to give you a credit card number. They, it has to go through and this whole kind of thing. And you just, that's the bad part about dealing with right. corporate clients is you've got to wait time sometimes to get those uh, payments uh, because they're trying to hold off as long as they can. Of course, right? They want the, the purchase yeah. order number and all that nonsense. Uh, right. So, I mean, it's uh, it, it really depends on who your clients are. You know, attorneys can be terrible about paying too. We know that sure. many, many attorneys, you yeah. know, regardless of what they sign. Of course, no when you're late paying them, they're right there. No comment. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I got an ethical question for you. Okay. You're licensed in New York, right? Yep. And let's assume you're not licensed in uh, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, and uh, you're running a surveillance and the person you're uh, following runs into Massachusetts. Well, what do you do? First of all, I'm going to say I love the Berkshires. Uh, it's a fantastic, the, the Berkshires, they go, they go up to the Berkshires. I, I hope that's where they're going in, in Massachusetts. Um, so I did an, an episode with Brian Willingham, uh, uh who Brian is uh, amazing, right? He's, uh, I've heard of him. yeah, he's, he's the blog, uh, um, guru mm-hmm. here and we did a whole episode on this, right? So what it comes down to, and again, I'm not an attorney, I'm not giving, um, uh, legal advice or anything like that. If you're originating in New York, Right. If, if from the get go, when you're picking this person up, it starts in New York and they go over state lines uh, mm-hmm. into Massachusetts, um, you should continue and you should follow. Now, it could blow back on you. It really could, especially in New York. If you if you come from Massachusetts into New York, there's definitely if you look at general business law seven, you're violating it. Now, are they going to enforce it? Probably not. Is a judge going to throw that information out? Probably not. There is a chance, though, it could happen. Um, now, if you're starting in, like, knowingly starting in Massachusetts, let's just say, hey, my client lives in Westchester, but I know they're going yeah. to the Berkshires for the weekend, and so pick them up in the Berkshires. You better have a Massachusetts uh, investigator involved in some way on that case, mm-hmm. you know, to basically get under the umbrella of having a licensed um, uh, investigator yeah. from that state helping you out on that stuff, because that that's where it could really blow back and and uh, cause you some, some problems. That was the general consensus, because there really is no... Yes, you can, or yes, you can't. You'll never get that straight answer right. out from people. Yeah, I agree with your yours, and if it was his also analysis of that, because, I mean, just like here in Michigan, you can be down, uh, Toledo, Ohio is a big city, mm-hmm. and it's right on the edge of Michigan, and most people in Michigan down there on the, over the line work in Toledo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're running a surveillance in Michigan and you end up down going in Ohio, no one stops. And I, and I can also tell you that I know, for instance, in Michigan courts, many times they're the judge when it's brought up, uh, if the case sense of a court will go, that's a regulatory matter yeah. and is, it has no bearing here. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that in other states too. Uh, I was just kind of curious because I know that's something that, you know, a lot of people do surveillance in our profession mm-hmm. and you run across those issues. Again, like I said earlier, I'm not a big fan of licensing in this country, at least the way it's done, right. uh, because I don't think it's effective. I think it's more of a tax because there's really no enforcement. That's the that's the issue here. There's no enforcement, right? So we, uh, our lobbyists, pushed for you know, we were trying to get a felony 
to operate as a, a private investigator unlicensed in New York. And we had to settle on like a class B misdemeanor. All right. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means nobody's ever going <laughs> to bust your chops on it. It's well, not- let me tell you, it's, a, it's been a felony in Michigan since 1965. Okay. And, we, and so it means all the way up until 2000, 2001, we were regulated by the state police. And then we went to consumer industry, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And it's still a felony. No one's ever been charged or convicted of a felony in this state without license and prosecutors in the counties and the AG's office, they just don't care. Yeah. Cause yeah. they just look at that and they go, whatever, we got more important things to look at. So here's the more important, more important issue. Um, and, and where you could run into some problems. Are you going to go to jail? No. Are you going to get fined? No, probably not. Mm-hmm. Can your information get thrown out? Yeah, Possibly. it could be. It, it could. On the, yeah, it, yeah, it, absolutely. It throws it, you know, if, if you're going to end up in court with it, right. But as we know, for instance, the insurance folks that are doing all the insurance work, you know, most of those cases don't ever end up in court. No. You know, the insurance companies are just using this to mitigate and, uh, you know, come up with some sort of lower number. Exactly. Um, so they can settle. Um, I'm not suggesting people cross state lines or not. I'm just saying you got to think about that. Yeah. that. That's really my, the whole purpose of that question. Yeah. Just, just keep it in mind. I think it's a good point. I mean, really, I mean, you make your own decision. Since we're talking about ethics, there, there's a one that's a tough one for our profession because everybody has a different answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not as cut and dry as uh, wiretapping. Yep. For instance. No, so, you yeah. got it. You got it. Or murder, you know, yeah, <laughs> so. you know murder, and there is that. <laughs> but, uh, all right, man, we're going to wind down here. We, we've actually got into okay. overtime here. Uh, but, uh, I, I love talking about this stuff and I, I don't know if I'm the only one and, uh, maybe, the, yeah, maybe, me too. Me maybe too. there's 10 people left listening. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. 10 people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh so well, it's uh, a pleasure being here and talking yeah. with you about it. I think this stuff's important. Yeah. Um, it has been important. It will be important and it needs to be thought about. And uh, I hope people out there get involved and listen and learn and latch on to people that have been around, mm-hmm. make your own decisions ultimately, but try to learn, right. pick up a book. Yeah, Kitty's book. You can start there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. There's a lot. Then there's a, there's a lot of good books out there. Yeah, now. even uh, like like George Gerges put out like a 95 page um, ethics uh, handbook uh, through Inspy last year. Uh, and nice. I actually, I have it in the, in the Investigators Toolbox. So if you are a member of Investigators Toolbox, it's actually in there um, in the uh, form section. Uh, what a great resource. I mean, really, really great resource. And again, is it the be all end all? No, but is it to help you point you in the right direction? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's, that can only help. So, all right, we're going to, we're going to shut down here. So uh, Peter, thank you so much. And I know you'll be back. <laughs> so, it's been a pleasure. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Thank Thanks you. everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next week on the next show. What a great chat. Peter and Matt covered many great topics on ethics. We want to thank Peter for his drive to help educate those in the industry. Make sure you check out Intellinet and how to become a member. We also like to thank Crosstracks, Merlin Locate, and Delft Point and PI Institute of Education for sponsoring this show. So please support these great sponsors of ours. Have you checked out investigatorstoolbox.com yet? You can join through the app, available on iOS and Android platforms. You'll be able to access the whole site right from your iPhone or Android phone. There's no better time than today to sign up for the site just 49 cents a day, you could take advantage of some great networking, training, and data resource management. 
And if you use code PIP201836, you'll save an extra $20. If you have a question or comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next Monday with a new show, so make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.